whatever your view is on life, who you are, where you are from, and why you are here, one thing is certain. Your physical body and non-physical mind or consciousness is on a journey of discovery. We must never stop investigating, never stop experimenting, never stop questioning. No fear, only love. No anger, only compassion and forgiveness. Cause this is just the way it's meant to be. This is just the way it's meant to be. This is just the way it's meant to be. This is just the way it's meant to be. I wish I had this chart large, but this is probably a month's worth of work just to get this on something readable and large enough to read. This was the product of probably about six months worth of uh, translation off the CDD plates of different pieces of data because it didn't come through with the chart. These charts don't come through. I have to design the charts after the data comes through in words. I have to take those words and put them in pictures so they make sense, so you can see things. And this is why they take so long sometimes. If they just showed me a picture and I could close my eyes and copy it, it would be much, much easier. doesn't work that way. So this, the information on here is a summarization of all the information for about six months that had been given with like huge context around it as far as the different Leviathan races and how they have progressively moved into the dominating force on this planet. They are the ones that control the politics here. They are the ones that control religion here. They are, and they have been since 9558 BC. So we are facing a situation the magnitude of which is mind-blowing when you're coming from the mind control program. It just seems so outrageous and so impossible. The closest you can get is watching like the sci-fi channel where you see these wacky things happening, you know, creeps from black hole come and try to invade world, you know, invade the world kind of thing. You know, you can translate it into science or you can translate it into spirituality. You can call them fallen angelics coming from the pit, coming, you know, and, they, and you know, this was foretold in the Bible. What was left of the Bible even kept that content. They said there would be the beast that came out of the pit. They said all sorts of things. Now, we've had other workshops where we talked about the, the seven seals, and we've talked about um, the, the horsemen, the four horsemen of the apocalypse and what those really are. So there is a truth to parts of the Bible, and there's also a great deception in how that truth has been presented, because it's been presented in riddles and rhymes where beasts are things that we imagine to be big green things with seven heads and ten horns and a crown on each of the ten horns that rise up out of the ocean, out of the pit. We don't think in terms of sci-fi technologies that have the ability to move planetary systems. We don't think of black holes. We have this romanticized fairy tale that we've been given to cloak the reality of what's taken place. And so many people have dedicated their lives for so many centuries now to uphold those fairy tales. They don't know how to let go. The fairy tale started in Atlantis, and they started with the, with the uh, creation of the Leviathan races that we talked about yesterday. I went through the process, the, the progression of from 155,000 BC, how the five different stages of the bioregenesis program for the Leviathan, for the Anunnaki races had been done here and how progressively each stage had been raided by different ones that were not of the Emerald Covenant. What that created by the time we were in mid-Atlantis, let's say about 
63,000 BC, which is around the time that the, Atlant the angelic human Atlantean root race was seeded. First came cloister races. That's where the word cloister <laughs> comes from. The cloister races were the ones that had, um, they, they were the indigos. They were the ones that had the higher strand coating. They were the Lyrensyrians and the Gaian Orophim humans. They came first, the cloister races. And from the cloister races came what's called the Turinicium II race, which was another version of the 12-strand angelic human race. This is where Atlanteans and Lumerians and those guys fit in. They were, if you take the indigos, then the smaller gene code from them that came out was the, uh, the angelic human 12-strand. From those came smaller breakdowns of the strand content. Lumerians, Atlanteans, those kind of things. They had the potential, all of them, for 12-strand, but they would have a certain amount activated at birth. So there was, we had our races on planet. They were the ones appointed here. They were the guardians of this place. But once the Leviathan races began to be genetically interwoven with our race, all hell broke loose, quite literally. And we are living the tail end of that firestorm that began in Atlantis. You hear little romantic versions of, yeah, there was this advanced civilization called Atlantis, but they abused the crystalline technologies, and we think, oh, maybe they blew up a few things with some big crystals. What they have done with the crystalline, the sacred crystalline technologies is absolutely, there are no words to describe the level of perversion of what's been done here. They've genetically raped a race. They have raped the grids of a planet, and not just a planet. They have progressively, as, we show, as I showed you, in the cube matrix structure, where they have literally taken the Stargate system here and the Stargate system in Phantom and plugged it into another Stargate. These are the potentialities of crystalline-based technology, by the way. I mean, it was brilliant. What was done here was absolutely evil, but absolutely brilliant. Now, ultimately, good does prevail. That's the way Source set it up here. However, there is a huge scale of allowance. It's like a pendulum that swings. When it goes to a certain level of perversion of the original plan, it will begin to swing back. We are in that point now where it has the cycles of evolution through this time matrix have swung. The cosmic cycle has gone to its extreme of negative, where if it went any further, it would take down the entire structure of this time matrix. And the time matrix was built in a way that that wasn't going to be allowed. So it will rebalance itself with bringing in the D12 frequency, with bringing in the divine blueprint. What that means is we're in prime time for the final conflict drama. That is what is taking place right now. And most of the people on the planet are walking around clueless. They haven't an idea that this is going on. People follow the New Age movement, have no clue what they pick up when they go into a room, for example. They don't realize they're getting astral field implantation that's going to activate more of the reverse matrix coatings just by going to a workshop. One of the worst places I've ever seen is the New York City Expo. We went there, and I was appalled the first time. I just went to sit in on, on somebody's <coughs> workshop. You know, it was, oh my, it was a free lecture. You know, 100 people in the audience. And because I had the high sight on, and I wasn't trying. I was trying to turn it off, in fact. And if it wasn't for the beloveds kind of sitting over my shoulder going, no, you're not going to leave. Sit there. We need you to hold frequency. Right? I wanted to get up and run because what I saw were these forms coming into the room. And people are oblivious. They don't see them. But the guy running the workshop knew they were coming in. And he's you know, doing his thing, teaching people. And these things are coming in the room and astral cording 
all of the people in the room. And what they had, when I saw that, I wanted to literally get out. My, my skin, I was like like a porcupine with its spines out. Get me out of here. And uh, my uh, head said to me, no, we need you. You're all right. You know, you're fine. Stay and run frequency. And they had me run Maharic Seal, and they had me projected into the room. And it was amazing because I watched the cords start dropping. And it really, really aggravated both the speaker, <laughs> who zeroed, zeroed in on me at the back of the room. You could feel where it was coming from. But the stuff that's going on is amazing right now. And people don't know. People that go to churches think this is a good thing. If they knew what the churches were built to do, they would have a different feeling about churches. Once upon a time, there were holy temples. And even if there were no buildings standing, the holy temples were the people who carried the living presence of God with them, consciously and fully. We were the living temples. Whether or not we had a building to put our bodies in didn't matter. This planet was once a living temple. It's been a temple that's been run dry, and it's going to rebel quite soon because it will rebalance itself too. If It's kind of like part of the planetary immune system. If a disease or a virus gets too strong, it will eventually kick up the immune system. This planet won't let itself be fully destroyed. So anyway, I'm going to take us back really quick to Atlantis, to after the Leviathan races were created. All right, they were created over a period of numerous generations that began in 155,000 B.C. and then moved up to 63,000 B.C., where at the last phase, or <clears throat> the giving of the fifth angelic human strand into the Leviathan pattern, was done. This created the Anu Melchizedek race. The Anu Melchizedek race had, it, it was the first one that actually looked similar to the angelic human races because they looked more ape-like. Some of them looked more combination of ape and reptilian-like. They didn't look like humans because they weren't humans, and they came out of the Neanderthal pattern. So they were like strange versions of that. But as they progressively picked up more, after generations and generations, more of the angelic human DNA strand, they started to look more like human beings. Now, angelic humans in those days were very tall. They were Some of them were, you know, really on planet about six to nine feet tall was about the average in those periods because there was already genetic mutation that was keeping the height down. But this is the point where we began a downward spiral of evolution that we're living the end of today. Now, there were several primary groups of beings, fallen angelics, that invaded. You have basically, we talked about the Anu Elohim, that from the original fall, they were Anu Elohim, they appointed themselves as the uh, false creator gods. They created the Anunnaki lineage. And you had the fallen seraphim races that were the Draconians and then some of the Odetokron races that were reptilian got mixed in with them. Um, the uh, seraphi also create bird people. All right, there is, see, the, the original Christos founders races created different types of forms. The Anu Elohim, before they were Anu Elohim, had created the aquatic ape hominid type form. And the Elohai Elohim, the ones of the Emerald Order, were hominid felines. They had the large feline-like eyes. They were the Lyran. That, that was the original Lyran founders pattern. And actually, all of the others came out of that pattern. So it was feline. There's some people that call them the Leonines, which were kind of like a downstepped later evolution of them. But when we look at the little forms running around here on the planet, we have bugs, we have mammals, we have all sorts of things. They all came from one of these primary three creator god collectives, one of the three Christos founders races. So when we're dealing with the Leviathan fallen ones, we basically have two places that they all came out of 
aside from the Wesodex. They were a completely different matrix. They were actually, you know how we have our echo maps that takes us all the way up to the first level of creation in our matrix? Well, there's a parallel to that where we have that whole system of our Akasha Ea. There is a parallel Akasha Ea that's linked to us that we didn't even bother trying to expand the graph that big because once we get through our own, we're home and in full expansion. The Wesodex are coming. They're infiltrating this one from the parallel of literally the cosmic cluster. They call the Akasha Ea the Ruche cluster, that it's a cluster of universes or reality fields, and that's the pattern that all reality fields in manifest, that have manifestation will take. So aside from the Wesodex, there were primarily one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, primarily nine different invader races. All of those nine invader races came out of either the Anu Elohim and their Anunnaki lineage or the Seraphi Seraphim fallen ones and their um, draconian uh, uh, dragon moth lineage. So they were, if you took them home to their creator gods, it would be the dragon moths and the Anu Elohim uh, aquatic ape things. Now the Anu Elohim created, when they created the Anunnaki, the first Anunnaki form was a bipedial dolphin. They're called the bipedial dolphin people. And that was, they're the Jehovian Anunnaki. They consider themselves the supreme Anunnaki. And the other ones that mix with the Seraphi are considered, you know, lesser than them. And they don't tend to not like each other. But they're working together right now with the United Resistance. But anyway, in Atlantis, you had these different branches of the fallen ones. You had one group, and it's important here because there's some words. We find out where the, the Adam races came from. What's this story about Adam and Eve and all that stuff? Well, we start to understand when we start to see the names and who came out of what once the Leviathan raids were orchestrated here. Now, there, when we get into the Anunnaki races, we primarily have the Nibiruan Anunnaki, the Palladian Anunnaki, and those two groups work together a lot. They're also in other systems, but they're the primary strongholds. The, these are called the Luciferian. Anunnaki, and there's a reason for the term Luciferian. First of all, they're not Jehovian. All right, the Jehovian are the bipedial dolphin people, pure strain Anunnaki. These are the ones that are combined with the Seraphim, fallen draconian, or some of the reptilian or Dedekron races to you know form a, a hybrid strain. Now you have the Enki, Enlil, and Marduk groups were the primary ones of the the uh, Anu Seraphim, Anunnaki races. There was one group of the Enki, they're called the Enki Zephelium races, that combined with another group of the Marduk Satane family races. This is where we get the word Satan from. It's referring to one of the draconian hybrids of the Anuseraphim. They combined with one of the more reptilian uh, hybrid Anuseraphim, the Enki groups. So you take a Toth Enki Zephelium and you combine it with a Marduk. Um, another name for this group is the Marduk Dramon, it's the Dramon, the Dragon Queen ones. You combine in the Satane family of those. You combine that, you get a Luciferian. The Luciferian imprint was used to um, upgrade. They considered it upgrading the Nibiruan and the Palladian Anunnaki races. So you have the Palladian Nibiruan Anunnaki, who are the Luciferians. The Toth groups fit into this. Toth is one of the um, shining stars of the... <laughs> yes, he almost made it to Christendom again, Christum. <laughs> yeah. But he, they... Uh, so there's that group. They have three primary um, raider races that 
became involved with the Leviathans here. Um, one of them, the ones from the Palladian system from Alcyone, which is Tara, which is Earth's counterpart in Density Two, are called the Samjaze Luciferian Anunnaki. Okay, they are also the Palladians. They're the blondes, the pretty blondes. There's some dark-haired ones, but they're they're ones they like to like put on display and like you know uh, contact people and things. They're the angelic blonde ones. They're very Nordic looking. They have you know very pretty features because they stole them from the Procyones. <laughs> the image that they wear is something they got genetically by when they invaded and took over genetically took over the Sarah's Procyone race, who were blondes and but they were angelic human type. Blondes. So you have the Samjazi Luciferians. You have uh, the Toth Enki Zephelium groups, which are the Nibiruan Anunnaki. That's the Nibiruan royal elite there. They're the ones that really tried to take over Rome from the Drax. <laughs> you, know? you can see eight-pointed stars everywhere in the ancient Roman stuff at certain periods. The eight-pointed star is the sign of Nibiru. It's also the sign of the fixed phase lock Merkaba and a lot of other things that have to do with the base eight system and the Wiesedek agreements. Now, you have another group called the, called the Marduk Luciferian Anunnaki, and they were a draconian group of the, Mar, of, of the Anuseraphim hybrid Anunnaki. These are affiliated with the uh, Alpha Centauri. So this is where you get the Alpha and Omega Centauri people coming into it. Then you also have the Jehovian Anunnaki, who don't like these guys. All right, Jehovian Anunnaki, these are the pure strain. They created the Anunnaki raider race in order to destroy the Orophim races that were created once the Wiesedek agreements had been made and they broke through to this matrix, through the phantom matrix. The Orophim were created after the Azerites fell. And once that occurred, the, in response to the Orophim guardians being created, the Jehovian Anunnaki created the Anunnaki. They were the Avengers of Anu. Their purpose was to destroy the human lineage, any of the human lineages, because their objective was to take over the time matrix. So all of the Anunnaki races came out of that and have at their core imprint. They genetically have that core intention. They were created with that core intention. That's proved to be very hard for them to overcome. They also were programmed with the idea that they were superior, they were elite, they should be the ones running the time matrix because they're so much better than we are. There's an arrogance that goes with their pattern. That was what Toth's downfall was. So the Anunnaki races uh, came originally out of the Jehovian Anunnaki bipedial, having two feet, actually. They were dolphins with feet and hand-type things. They, were, they could go on land or they could go on water, and they were a density two and three race, so they were semi-etheric and etheric density. They downscaled them here and put them in our waters as certain types of dolphins, but not all of the dolphins are of them. Some of the dolphins are of the Braharama races, the cetacean races that were put here to counteract what their dolphins, dolphins were doing. Now, the Jehovian Anunnaki lineage, when they invaded the Leviathan races, created their Antichristos grail line just like the, uh, the Anoseraphim ones, the Pleiadian Nibiru ones did. You also have the Odetokron reptilian races that originally got caught in the fall without meaning to, but some of them very much digressed from that point. And you have the Omicron draconian dragon moths. They all got involved. So you have this big line of Leviathan races being invaded and directed by each of their creator gods here to fulfill the agenda of their particular creator gods. The warring on this planet has been because everybody's been being used as little armies to fight these phantom matrix um, 
battles that are going on. For ages, the Yenisarifim uh, Anunnaki were fighting with the Jehovian Anunnaki, trying to annihilate each other, and both of them were fighting with the Draconians, and the Odetokron would side with whoever would not try to destroy them, because everybody was trying to get them out of the way. And what we've seen on this planet is a progressive nightmare that's been their nightmare that they brought here. Now, when we get into some of the names that are associated with these lines, there's a whole bunch of names. It'll take me forever to go through all of them. But they were basically, when you, on this side of this graph, we show, like right over here, not totally over to the end over here, but over in this section. This is the Anu Seraphim Palladian Nibiruan crew. All right, when we go over here further, this lineage is the Jehovian Anunnaki crew. We go over here, it's Odetokron, and over here, the Amicron Draconian. Now, over on this end are those kind of misfits of the universe that are the Marduk line, which are the Draconian combined with the Anunnaki, and they tend to do their own thing, and they, they've had a lot of problems because they're a minority compared to, to the other races, but they still had their two cents in here. What these groups did was the Palladian uh, Nabir Anunnaki created... Uh, lines of Leviathan races by raiding the, the experiments called the Ilulkum, the Adiruans, the Lilithan, and the Azuriel. Now they later combined their groups to, these were called the Beli Kudman, by the way, those particular races of Earth Leviathan that were of the Nibiruan and Palladian descent were called the Beli Kudman. Now between 20, uh, between 22,340 B.C. and 10,500 B.C., those races were upgraded by combining them with other things, progressively raiding angelic human races to get more of their gene code. They became the Atalans, and they combined the Adiruans, uh, the Lilithan, and the Azuriel. This is Toth's group, Samjazi's group, and uh, the, who are these guys over here? The Enlil group, which are um, a, rep a reptilian group, Nibiran reptilian group. They were combined, their Leviathan races were combined to, f to form the Ata Atalan King line. And of the Atalan King line, there were the Atlas line, who came out of the Enlil, the Enlil Odetokron, the Osiris line, which was part Enki and part Samjazi, and the Larsa line, which was taking all of them and putting them all together. The Larsa kings were Atlantean king lines, Atlantean Antichristos king lines, that were responsible for the progressive invasion and taking over the territories of Atlantis. Atlantis at one point was a large continent. At, there were certain things done, I believe that was way back, that was in, I think, what was that, 50,000 BC they did that? I forget. Or was that 25,000? There were two different periods in the Atlantean mess. Um, mum, mum, mum. That's on the other chart. But... Anyway, the first one took down most of the continent, leaving island nations. The island nations that were left are what we call England, Ireland, Scotland, and Wales up in the north. That was Lojas, Atlantis. Bermuda area, what we call the Bermuda Islands now, is the tiny remnants of what was a very large central area called Nohasa, Atlantis. And this is where the Noah line comes from. When we get into Noah and Abraham and all these guys, Nohasa, Atlantis is where it came from. The Noah line was the line of leviathans that came up from that particular region and I'll show in a minute where they fit and then there was Brua Atlantis which now is down in the Florida area Sarasota area Sarasota Florida and coming down into where I think Cuba and those kind of things are down there and up into the Bimini Islands so these were the, these are the areas that were progressively where the raiding started where the major raiding started from there they literally went through every corner of the planet. And the corners of the planet they were looking for 
where the corners of the planet where the 12 tribes lived. Because the 12 tribes, there are 12 stargates and 12 Q sites, which are the ones that connect to the inner earth temples. Those are the most sacred sites on the planet because they're the control sites for the planetary grids. These were the sites that invasion that were targeted for invasion. We've looked at the chart of that before, where you can see where some of the interesting action that has taken place. I mean, it's still taking place down in the Middle East. And like in uh, Iraq and Iran, they have the Gate 10 connection things. That you can just watch, you know, look at the maps and see where the gates are and see how peoples have fought with each other and why. So we got to the Atalan king lines. And they formed the Osiris kings that came up, you know, that eventually came down through Egypt as the invader races of Egypt. We had the Atlas king lines, and they almost faded away. Then they combined with the uh, Osiris lines later and became the Horus lines. All right, so there's like all this combining of Leviathan races. These are just the Leviathan races, and they would raid different tribes of humans to pick up more of the human coding. Um, the Larsa kings are interesting because there is physical evidence left, a few pieces they forgot to pick up, of the Larsa tablets that are the king lists. They have them you know, carved in stone, and interestingly, Enoch's name is listed on the Larsa king lists because there was a time in 10,500 B.C. in a thing called the Luciferian Conquest where Enoch decided he would break the Emerald Covenant and join with the other Anunnaki races. Might, if you can't beat him, join him, was basically the approach he took. Enoch didn't do it for the same reasons that Toth did. Toth had an arrogance problem, still does. Um, Toth did it for personal gain and for gain for his people from an egotism as opposed to Enoch doing it because he figured they had so much control at this point that if they didn't cooperate and they won, that his races would be destroyed completely by the Toth groups because they didn't cooperate. So he had joined, and it was a bad decision, but he joined, and he led, they led their people into taking what had originally been a bioregenesis you know, program, hybridization program, to get them back into the Christos imprint, and they decided to create raider races that would progressively take over instead. Now, what came out of these guys? At the same time, you also have developing over on this side another set of interesting people that were in opposition to the, the Atalan king lines that were the Palladian Niberuan primarily. You had the Jehovian Anunnaki, the pure strain Jehovian Anunnaki. Now, for a while, uh, Enoch was the leader of those. As before he turned, he was the one that was helping the Jehovian Anunnaki hybrids get back into the, you know, the Emerald Covenant. But there was another group of Jehovian Anunnaki that were not Emerald Covenant at all. They were the Arantia, and they had a, a sub-race called the Admians. All right, this is where we start to get the Ad beginnings to uh, what becomes the Adami races. We had um, the Admians combined with uh, the Nephites from the Leviathan race Nephi level of the experiment that we talked about. They progressively came up and became the, uh, the Zadokim Hasim. All right, so now we're getting to something, the Hasim. From the Hasim, we ended up with Hasa kings, and we ended up with Nohasim, which were the ones that combined later with Enoch's group. The Nohasim combined with the Atalans to form something, a new hybrid, a super hybrid, that was intended to be the master hybrid that would take over the planet, was called the Adam Cadman. Now, the original human race was from Tara, the original Turanissium I human race, had several different divisions. One of the human races was called the, I have to get it exactly right, it's the Adami Kudim. 
Adami Kudim. So they literally created their own Adami Kudim by raiding the races here, and they called it the Adam Kadmon. This is where the Metatronic pattern, this is where the path of Arimathea actually started. It started way back there in Atlantis. Progressively, now th this stuff was taking place before the flood, all right, before the flood where all the records were taken away. By the time the flood occurred, and the flood occurred in 9558 B.C., it was orchestrated. There was a, a, a big rally that took place in 10,500 called the Luciferian Conquest, and this is when the Enoch groups joined with the Toth groups, and they created the Anunnaki legions, and they combined their races to begin forming the master race, to make that Adam Kadmon race that would take over this planet. And they together chose to get rid of everything else they didn't want on the planet at the time. Now, they couldn't get rid of humans completely because humans had the keys to the stargates. And if they didn't run those keys in a stellar activation cycle, what would happen to the planet is the stargates would not open and the planet would go into pole shift. That's a protection device that was put here. If humans weren't here, humans and indigos weren't here to run the security codes through the DNA, that meant there was something wrong because humans are supposed to be here as the guardians. And if the guardians weren't here and the gate keys weren't put in, the place would simply roll and the gates would shut so nothing could come in and take it over. So they had to keep us here, but they had to make us stupid so we wouldn't be able to fight, you know, head-on to stop them from what they were doing because technically humans and indigos can run a million times more frequency power than any of these guys can if their DNA is functioning properly. So the, the, the Luciferian Covenant was the agreement that Enoch entered and his group entered. This is where you had the, a strain of the Jehovian Anunnaki, the Nohasim that were under Enoch's control, joining with the Pleiadian Nibiruan Anunnaki races to form a master raider race. You also had a bunch of the Jehovian Anunnaki Leviathans and their creator gods that didn't want to do that. So they created a, an opposing line. They became the Hasa kings. The Hasa kings... Um, moved later after the flood moved into Assyria and Acadia they there was another branch of them that combined with the uh, the Odetochron reptilians and another branch that combined with the Omicron draconians where you ended up with something called the Teozin, the Lathian and the Etruan king lines Atlant uh, Atlantean Antichristos king lines from them you ended up with the Hasad king lines the Hellenium king lines notice some of these words their words in our history. Their words in our history, the human beings have been conned into thinking apply to them, but they don't apply to most of the people on the planet. Because interestingly, even though the invasion here and the infiltration has been huge, there are still more humans and indigos combined than there are leviathans. That's one little secret they don't want anybody to know. That's their weak point. Okay. These lines came up. So you have this draconian line. These are the dragon kings, the ones that combined with the Omicron draconians, the Hassad kings. This is a lot of the stuff you see going on in the Middle East that later got into the Ahala kings and those kind of things where you have... Th these are the seeds of the Islamic religion. When you move it over, the seeds of the what they called the Jewish religion, which had nothing to do with the Jewish people at all. The original Jewish texts were taken, and they were twisted like everything else. The Jehovian Anunnaki were running that section for a while. If you trace it up, it takes you into some of the uh, familiar names. Where are they? Somewhere up here. They have the different breakdowns of the like Pharisees and Sadducees and these guys that we hear about, you know, in the Bible and in you know biblical history. Um, these were the lineages that were in control at that point. They were in control, you know, governing religion and governing governing politics. These were not human races. 
the whole exodus thing that happened, it wasn't Jewish people that were running. It was the Hyksos. And I'll talk about the Hyksos in a minute because we're having a problem with the Hyksos on the planet right now. The Adam Kadman race that was a combination of the Enochian and Tothian Leviathan races into a master hybrid race progressively went about raiding other races. They raided the Celtic and the Druidic 12 tribe Maji races. So they took on some of their coding. They, I mean, they're literally on the, this paper, it, tell, it gives you a list of the basic small, this, this is the, the major invasions, all right? There are millions of smaller ones progressively that took place. By the time we get up to, like, the flood, this is where, this is going to be the beginning of clean slate, all right? They orchestrated the flood by messing with the crystals. The whole Noah story, Noah and the ark, <laughs> has to do with Enoch. Enoch taking a group of his people from Nohasa, they knew they were going, they knew, because Enoch had joined the Luciferian Covenant, they knew that the Samjazi and the Tothenki on Anaki groups were going to create a deluge. They were going to get rid of the people in Atlantis that they didn't want there. So they were going to take their own off planet temporarily so they could get rid of the rest. But Enoch had um, a particular cluster of his special chosen ones. And because Enoch had forewarning, he didn't warn the rest of them. He only warned the ones they were already beginning to be genetically com combined with the Metatronic program through intertwining with the Tothian races. He took them, and he took them from Atlantis by boat to Egypt, to Giza, where the Ark of the Covenant portal exists. He had pass keys to the Ark of the Covenant portal because once upon a time he had been a guardian. And he took those people into Giza through the portals, into the Ark of the Covenant. That was Noah's Ark. It wasn't a boat. There were certain beings that were taken, certain people and some animals and those kind of things that they knew they would need to reseed when they came back up after the deluge. The Ark was the portal passage called the Ark of the Covenant that all of us came in on. Everybody had to come through that to get here on the planet since seeding three. So the, these, were the, these are the stories. This is the truth behind the stories that pieces of them remained. So the Noah line was the line that came up. It later became the Abraham line. It's the line that came up from this period where Toth and Enoch agreed to follow the Luciferian agenda. And the Luciferian agenda involved the Metatronic Wiesedek coding. Because in 22,340 BC, is when, this is way before this stuff, that's when Toth decided to lead his peoples into the Metatronic immortal body as opposed to the natural eternal ascension body. When Enoch combined his races with that, they took on the Metatronic coding. So both of them, this is why you'll find teachings of both the Tothian schools, also many of the Egyptian schools, like the Isis schools, all those guys. They were, Isis is another word from Samjazi. All right. I mean, these are the races. When we look and we go, oh, isn't that neat? You know, Isis and Horus and the Egypt and things. We've been so naive because the history records were taken away from us. It's not so fun and, and enjoyable when you start to see it. And that's sad because it's like, oh, shoot, our romantic bubbles get burst. At this point, it may be a rude awakening. But if we don't wake up, we can go off and, and, and be the little subservient things played with by these false creator gods from now until eternity in a black hole matrix if that's what we prefer. You know, that choice will be honored. Source is not going to stop you from making the choice. But the truth is recorded in the records, and that's where the truth is being brought, so you can make a conscious choice. Because without this, you're being conned. 
without this information, you might, you know, the people might hate the messenger, and that's too, that's just too bad. You know, I don't take it personally. It's what I stand for, what we stand for, that people have an issue with. But if there's enough love to sit in front of groups of people who might hate us to death for the things we speak because it's crashing their old models of what they thought was real, do you know how much love it takes to do that? It would be a lot easier to just say, well, fine, you don't want to hear me, I don't talk to you. <laughs> you know? We don't do that. Now, when we come up, th these are the beginnings. Now, the Christ story, of course, fits in here. But first, after the flood, 9,558 B flood, you had all of these races. It was already planned and positioned which groups were going to invade, which ones would go in which direction. We had, um, the, and of course, you had the Draconian dragon kings having their own plan of raiding. You had the Jehovian kings, which were the Jehovian Anunnaki that didn't like the hybrid ones, with their own plan. And you had the master race Toth Enoch crew that had their own plans. They, there, there's a whole history where they came up through, um, you know, through the Celtic Druidics. They, literally every race line, uh, angelic human race line on the planet, was at a different time systematically infiltrated. And the creeds were forced on them. You know, you either, <laughs> we're going to control you now, you either buy this and you teach your children this and you do this or you're dead. Pick one. You know, I mean, that was on a good day. On a bad day, they just come in, kill all the males, take a few females for breeders and rape them until they conceived and then force them to bear the children. So they would have, and they used to do this at, in sacred sex rites, under, usually under moonlight. They took... There, there are certain, there's certain things about conceiving under moonlight. They're actually better for high resonance fetal patterns than during the daytime. They knew these things because of the Atlantean texts that had taught all about sacred sexuality and those kind of things. They used all the teachings against the human race, and they progressively picked up our race lines, our codes, which meant they progressively got more access to the planetary grids. They were picking up each time they created a generation that had another piece of the human DNA in it. They had another piece of the keys to the planetary Templar because it was the human DNA and the indigo DNA that carried the keys and still does. Now, they come up, we come up through the invasions of Sumer, you know, the Sumerian invasions. All of that was about their history. What we have in our Sumerian, you know, take Sumerian history, all of that stuff was about the Leviathan races. There is not one shred of human history from 9,558 B.C. up to the present. There's not one shred of what was human history. It's E.T. History 101 that we have been reading and being taught ever since the flood. And this was orchestrated and it was on purpose. It wasn't done by accident. Nothing slipped through, hardly. Little pieces here and there, like the Larsa King tablets that listed a few things and took it back so many generations that, wait a minute, how many generations back was that? <laughs> you know, there was like hundreds of kings listed on the Larsa King's tablets, and Enoch was in there. So it just it extended the history context of Sumeria back further than they'd originally assumed. There's a lot of other relics that eventually will come to the surface that, you know, that verify this if we ever get to find them, if things don't get so weird here that <laughs> archaeology becomes kind of a, a moot point. It just kind of surfaces itself because everything rearranges itself. ...of the Israel, Israel territory, the Palestinian territory, what we call Jordan now, all those areas. The Hebrew people were the grail line for one of our tribes. The Hyksos invaded them. And what we see as Hebrew history right now, the tribe names and all of that, they are not the Hebrew tribe names. The Hebrew had their transposition of race identity done. What you're seeing there is Hyksos. 
part of it Hyksos and part of it the Jehovian branch that came through that didn't want the Hyksos infiltrating. This is why you'll even have different sects within, say, like, you know, the Hebrew religion or even, the, like, the Muslim religion. Everybody's fighting with each other because there are all these different agendas and want to take one pattern hybrid and combine it with another. Anyway, I don't want to, yeah, okay. Still have this. <laughs> I'm going. Yeah, I'm doing all right. Now, I, want, I, I just want to get the show where this history is because it, it's significant. It really, for me anyway, it drove the point home. Well, once we get through the Egypt invasions, and they were you know, over a, a quite a long period of time, 9,558 B.C., up through about 5,900, but they continued after that. Every dynasty, every pharaonic dynasty was one of theirs. It was one of the Leviathan king lines that happened to get fight its way into position over another competing group. The, all through this period, the big challenge for the angelic human and the indigo lines was to keep their lineage alive genetically on planet because they would be exterminated whenever they'd be found out. So oftentimes they would do their best to blend in the ones who actually knew who they were while they still had memory of who their lines were. And they would try to pretend to, you know, if you're in Rome, do as the Romans do, just so the Romans don't find out you're not of them because then they'll kill you, that kind of thing. So there was, we also were scattered. We became scattered all over the place because we couldn't just sit on our gate sites anymore because they had been infiltrated and invaded. There'd be little clusters left at the gate sites, but the majority of them that were trying to preserve so the gene line could continue up until this time would literally be scattered in small clusters all over the place and mixed in with everything so we wouldn't be found. So it would be much more difficult to identify us so you couldn't go raid the village knowing you were going to get a whole treasure worth of DNA coding from the angelic humans. So, who did the Egypt invasions? From the Egypt invasions, went into the Mayan invasions, went into India, went in this, all right, in India it was 5,900 B.C. This was the, uh, there was a little bit of the text left, the Mahabharata texts, told about the air wars that took place in that period where there were spaceships coming in and there were some uh, fighting in the skies because uh, certain groups tried to take over and the other leviathans didn't like it, and the guardian races got involved because they were going to exterminate. Everything was going to get exterminated. So there was a, a skirmish, let's say, in 5900 B.C., and that got, there's still record of that in the Indian or the Hindu texts. Um, we get in 3650 uh, B.C., the Mayan raids started to take place, which was Toth's crew going over into, and remember, going over isn't hard, A, if you have a spaceship, or B, if you know how to work the surface portals, which are the, the, the ones that connect Earth points to Earth points as opposed to, like, inner Earth or other places. And some of the portal systems were operational. So they could get from one place to another. I mean, you see these charts of, oh, yes, humanity started here, possibly in Africa, and then moved up this way, and you see the little arrows of how they say, by finding the archaeological evidence, like, oh, we found bodies here and bodies here, so that means they must have done this. They have no clue. I mean, when you just take them off the air and put them on spaceships and things like that, it makes it much more complicated than simply trying to find the archaeological trail as to where what races existed. It's even harder to find it when you have a bunch of Leviathan races and fallen angelic races, or ETs, whatever you want to call them, coming in and manipulating the paper trail behind them. They didn't want things found. They, they got rid of most of, and there wasn't too many of them to begin with, the bodies of the cloister races. They had elongated heads, and they were very tall. There's been a few they missed, and they were found. I think they were found in Peru or something, weren't they? Or South America somewhere, I think. But, but they have to say that these were beings that suffered from encephalitis, I think they said, swelling of the brain that made their heads grow bigger. <laughs> yeah, swelling of the brain, all right. 
<laughs> that's what happens when you have larger brains. <laughs> you know, there has been a progressive sweep, and right now we're in the middle, still in the middle of this. Science is hugely controlled on this planet. What the common people are allowed, even in America, where the home, you know the land of the free and the home of the brave. <laughs> yeah, land of the free. That's a joke. It's no better than any other place in that sense, other than we get to play around in our hologram and think we're free more than most people do. It doesn't change the fact that we're in a prison camp. This planet has been a prison camp since Atlantis, and we have a chance to evolve out mm -hmm. of that now. And this is what the three paths of Genesis are about. When we, got, when we come up through Egypt, through, uh, you know, through India, through the Mayan raids, takes us up into where they start moving into... Uh, this is where we get into the Abraham lines, about um, two, uh, 2075 B.C., um, 2075 B.C. is when the person known as Abraham came into being. And Abraham was out of the Adam Kadman Hyksos line. And he was combined with some other lines. See, they were trying to get together as many of these diversified Antichristos Grail lines to create a super race. So they were doing their best to combine lines. Abraham marked um, another upgrade where they combined Hyksos which were also called the Midianites. The Hyksos were also called the Midianites. They combined them with another branch of somebody or other coming down from the, uh, or these, the, the Jehovian lines, the Nohasa lines. So it was taking originally one of the group of Jehovian Anunnaki Leviathan that wouldn't join the Enoch crew. These guys came in then. And progressively, this led up to the dramas that we know we think we know something about. It led up to the first of all, it, between 1670 BC and 1550 BC, the Hyksos invaded um, Egypt completely, and they took over. They were the ruling party there, and then they wonder why they got in trouble. They came and took over some of the other draconian Leviathan races that were running there, and then with a the vengeance, they came back, and the Hyksos had to do their exodus. They were kicked out of Egypt because they had come in, taken over, which at the time in Egypt, the draconian Leviathan races had, you know, their pharaonic rule had taken hold. These guys came in, the Hyksos came in, the master race, they took over them. Then they got taken over in return. This is, through this thing, you have the Moses story that evolves. Moses was one of the Hyksos. In fact, he was, uh, <laughs> the whole Moses story is meant to cover up the fact that he was the son of one of the pharaohs that he was supposed to be on the opposite side of. This was during the Tutmos period. All right, the exodus took place during the Tutmosis uh, 1 and 2, I think. I have that someplace. It's in the records. So, I mean, the, the whole thing with Solomon's temple was all, all of these things, all of these pieces of history fit into this line. When it came up into... Um, like 700 and it was actually about 800 BC time period. This is where you had the Roman invasions and the Greek invasions, where you had various groups. First, Draconians. First, the Draconian Leviathan came in, and literally the the Remus and Romulus story in the Roman things that supposedly were the beginnings of the Roman Empire. They were the Draconian races. They were uh, Remus, I believe, was the Odetacron reptilian, and Romulus was the uh, Omicron dragon moth. All right, so you had the draconian reptilian presence starting in here. These are the guys that became the Knights of Gnosis and the Knights Malta and that kind of thing. And they had come up from, you know, earlier on the, uh, the Etruans and the Lathians and, and those guys, like further back in Atlantis. Um, when we came up to about <laughs> another level, <laughs> a bunch of other stuff went down. But when we, um, let's see, there's one place I want to go from, from Rome. 
Oh, it was about uh, 23 B.C. when we started to see, 23, 24 B.C., we started to see the Roman invasion by the Hyksos and the Anunnaki Leviathan races, where they were going to come over and do the, like they were doing the, the Olympian god stuff and all of that kind of thing. Now, there was one version of the Omicron Drax that were beginning the Olympian paradigm because that particular group had made alliances with the Wisedex. So there were both Draconian and Anunnaki races that made alliances with the Wisedex, and this was the Metatronic coding. So well, we have a history of the most bizarre, slow, talk about a painful, slow death. It's like if you're going to wipe out a race, just drop a bomb on it and let it go. This has been torture. We have lived torture, and most of us sit here and haven't a clue, and we still call the names of the gods that they gave to us that weren't the gods that we started out with. And it's really, really sad. That's what gives. That's where I can find enough healthy anger. I don't care who listens to me or who doesn't. If one person in a group of a million gets it and can get free from this before they end up metatronically coded for eternity, um, it's worth it. So anyway, comes up to the Christ period in Voyages Volume Two. Even before we began to play whistleblower, when the United Resistance was formed and they declared war on us before the Palladian Syrian agreements were broken, in the 1992 agreements were broken. Um, the story was very gently done without letting any of the history about the Anunnaki, because the Anunnaki were trying to make agreement. You know, we, they supposedly were going to enter the Emerald Covenant. We had to be very, very careful about how much history we were allowed, the Guardians were allowed to release while those agreements were holding, because part of their things, their demands, were we don't tell right away. Of course, we'd have to tell later, but let them get used to us first before they realize what we did here, because then they'll really hate our guts, <laughs> right? That was basically what was happening. In uh, September of 2000, when the Anunnaki broke the Palladian-Syrian agreements, they uh, joined the United Resistance, and the whole group of them literally made an edict of war against the founders. And that's when it was time to get the history out and let people know what's going on. So. In the Voyager's book, it talks about the Christ period and the two Christs. Actually, the three sort of Christs. Mm -hmm. <laughs> there were the, the original Christ, which was Jeshua 12. He was called Jeshua 12. And at some point, they'll reveal the last name of the family line. His mother's last name was Constantine, but that was not the father's last name. And I know that because I was his half-sister, and we had the same mother So at that, in that time period. My name was Miriam. Um, that was the Constantine line that came up, you know, since, since that period. There, were, there, was an, there was another attempt to bring certain groups of the Hyksos over into the Emerald Covenant. You had a group called Galactic Federation of certain of the Anuseraphim Anunnaki and the Jehovian Anunnaki who decided they'd enter the Emerald Covenant. And they were doing this for a reason. They were doing it primarily because they knew it was getting closer, all right? This is like 2,000 years ago. It's getting closer to when everybody knew the Stargates were to open again, which was during this time period. And they knew that without biogenesis assistance, their races were definitely going into the Wissadec matrix. There was still, they had about two-thirds of the Wissadec coding. There was still one-third left. There was enough left that they could have been brought back to at least be able to stay in Phantom to where they could biogenesis out from there after quite a long course of evolution. There were certain ones that had, of the Toth crew that had originally decided to do the Metatronics and decided they didn't want to do the Metatronics anymore. They didn't want to become Wisodex anymore because they were finding out that the Wisodex were actually quite bullies. 
and they'd give you menial positions like middle management, but you'd never make it to the top, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. So there was some rebellion taking place within the Toth group, and Enoch just kept getting himself and his people all tangled up in messes, and it was just really poor judgment. I have a soft spot for Enoch, even though he's made some horrible decisions, because at least... I mean, there's still a, a twist of arrogance that tends to go with anything that incarnates through the Anunnaki or the fallen Anu Elohim pattern. He picked that up. He was an ascendant master that came through that pattern to get down here. He picked a bit of that up toward his people, the chosen ones. You know, in other words, you guys aren't worthy, but you guys are. You know, this is an elitist standpoint. The chosen one issue has always been about elitism, and it's always been chosen by who is the first question. <laughs> so anyway, when we got to the Christ period, there was an attempt at again, and this had really started before. It had started in the Solomon period, and Solomon had been a part of the beginnings of this, and then it fell apart again, and we tried it again with you know during the Christ period, where taking certain ones of the Hyksos, and they were the master raider races at this point. They had the most powerful DNA you know, compared to a human on the planet. They were brought into the Emerald Covenant, and they were to go, th they were, it was an allowance of, after they would undergo certain rites that would assist them <laughs> using codes to clear the DNA to some degree, they would then intermarry with Maji, you know, Grail Line Maji, to be able to begin a generation that would rapidly be able to get the coding back up before this period, this time period. So... This is where the Essenes came from. The Essenes were a group of, they, they were a subfamily of the Melchizedeks, which were one of the, uh, the cloister angelic human races. So Essenes were one of the, naturally, one of those families. The indigos that got involved with this experiment, which were the Jeshua 12 line, were of, uh, of the Melchizedek Essene lineage in the angelic human indigo lineage. They were to combine from Solomon, started with Solomon and Bathsheba, I believe she was one of ours, and created you know, the, the Solomon line. Now, Jeshua 12 came out of the Solomon line. He was the real Jeshua. He was the real Jesus. He was the one that went around teaching ascension. He, was, he did not teach hierarchical ascension. He did not have disciples under him or below him. He taught as a group. He taught with a group of Maji that went around together to bring back the teachings of the Emerald Covenant. And we did a pretty good job. We got a lot of them. We were putting them in writing at that point. They were put in several different writings. They were put in Egyptian. They were put in Hebrew. They were put in um, the Hindu languages, Sanskrit languages. And they were put in Chinese and a couple other dialects. So they would be a pieces, at least, would survive. Because we knew as soon as, we, as, soon as they hit the, the papyrus, <laughs> they would, uh, <laughs> you know, somebody grab a hold of them and they would change, you know, or either be destroyed or completely rewritten. <laughs> but in the Christ period, this is where the Arimathea agenda, which had started way back in Atlantis, the Arimathea agenda had be, was the Metatronic agenda. This is where it became woven into the biblical story. We caused them a lot of problems by bringing Jeshua 12 in. There was a whole bunch of people learning again about the ancient history. We were teaching about Atlantis. We were teaching about the stellar activation cycle that was due at, in this period of time and how we were all preparing for that. We caused a real problem for the, <laughs> for the Pharisees and the Sadducees and a bunch of others, the Romans. A lot of people were very upset with us. Um, yeah, okay, still doing right. Uh, there was a very big need to cover up what took place in the Christ period. Now, 
we were doing all right until what we call a period called the Essene Divide, and that's a, an event that's listed on this paper as it basically, it, it, it was a few years before and quite a few years after, but the kind of high point of it was 23 A.D. Now, Jeshua was born, we call him Jeshua 12, because he had, like, he was carrying the 12, base 12 strand pattern stuff. Um, he was born in 12 B.C., and he finally ascended through the Ark of the Covenant in 27 A.D., that's because the mission got blown. <laughs> the mission wasn't supposed to get blown. Now, in the agreements that were made, there was another, let's call him junior avatar, that was allowed to come in on the bioregenesis experiment. He was named Jeshua, and it was spelled with a Y, the way the Hyksos, not Hebrews, but the Hyksos alphabet didn't have the J in it. The original Hebrew alphabet did, for anybody that knows you know, that little twist on the, the names. Um, Jeshua 9, Jeshua, was, this was the line where you get Mary and Joseph, all right? The mother and father of that one were Mary and Joseph. Um, Johias and Judy were the parents of Jeshua 12, the real Jesus. Now, neither of these guys got crucified. They were actually working as a team. Jeshua 12 ordinated Jeshua 9 into the Melchizedek cloister priesthood. John the Baptist had ordinated Jesus, you know, Jeshua 12, into the priesthood. These were the Magi, and we were attempting to create a new hybrid grail line that had the potential to bring back the full Christos pattern to those races. And because the Hyksos races had invaded everything they could get their hands on since Atlantis, they had the most coding of everything. So that race was chosen for that opportunity because they would be because they could connect genetically to just about everything. They also had a huge amount of the coding that went with the planetary grids. Well, everything was going fine, and Enoch at this point had actually come back into the Emerald Covenant and decided he wanted to be a part of it. Toth was doing one of these, as usual, where Galactic Federation had kind of convinced the Toth Plating Anunnaki crew to, to do it, to, to enter the Emerald Covenant, except they had an agenda. They weren't planning on staying. They were planning on making sure this avatar of theirs was born and then taking that further into the future on their own agenda, and that's precisely what they did. They created, um, once Jeshua 9, we call him Jeshua 9, was born, there's progressive infiltration of the, uh, the Palladian, Nibiru, Anunnaki via Galactic Federation. Galactic Federation, the one that likes to channel books these days, were back there then. In fact, they're the ones that helped to take out Solomon's temple by accident. <laughs> they blew up their own temple by accident. <laughs> I won't even get into that now. But anyway, in uh, well, the, the Arimathea agenda, which the Anunnaki groups and the Hyksos, Leviathan races had given lip service to giving up. They wanted to be healed from that. You know, they came up from Atlantis. Once Jeshua 9 was born, the showdown began. Galactic Federation pulled out of the Emerald Covenant, and so did the Toth group. And now they had their super hybrid Hyksos that had the coding of the Magi, the genetic coding of the Magi. So it was, again, another notch up as far as getting security codes to the planetary stargates and creating a master raider race. But what they had to do was cover up anything that had to do with the real Jeshua. Because if they didn't, 
there would be too much knowledge that would be written. I mean, when we would get books down, you, you give them six months in those days, and they'd be something different. So there was like several copies of things handwritten, and one would be the real one, and he'd hide that somewhere special. <laughs> and then you'd have ones that had certain alterations put in them that would, if you read them right, lead you to where the real one might be. <laughs> All sorts of games being played back then by both sides just to keep you know, the truth on the planet and the other guy's trying to get rid of it. So the Arimathea agenda got interwoven in, into what we call the Bible, even before the Council of Nicaea finalized what the Bible would become. Even in like 100 BC, we had the Hyksos Arimathea agenda coming up. You'll find this, the Hyksos writings in um, the Dead Sea Scrolls, the Quanrem Dead Sea Scrolls. These were a group of the Hyksos races that were associated with the Essenes. Yes, the ones they had raided and gotten part of the gene code from, because Essenes were around for you know as long as the root races and the cloister races were around. Because Essene is simply one of the smaller families of the Melchizedek cloister angelic human race. All right, so. When you see the Dead Sea Scrolls stuff, this is coming from the Hyksos perspective. All of these things were building up. So by the time the Christ drama unfolded and the betrayal took place in 23 AD, we couldn't finish the mission that we had started here for, which was to bring the races back into wholeness, into oneness, to prepare everybody for the stellar activation cycle of this time period so everybody would be able to make it through and Earth would be reborn into a new you know, a new age of light, and everybody would be welcome there as long as they behaved and stopped trying to hurt other people. <laughs> um, in the Essene Divide, this is, we called it the Essene Divide, because you had some of the ones with the Essene coding that had come up from the Hyksos that had raided Essene races, and they're the ones that had been combined with the, you know, the, the true Essenes, the, the gray lines. You had a divide between them that took place. And this is where our contemporary understanding of the nonsense that comes up from that time period in the Bible references and things, where the true grail line, Jeshua ascended. I mean, he, he just left through the Ark of the Covenant. He didn't die. He wasn't crucified. He wasn't even persecuted. It was the other guy that had the big mouth. <laughs> I mean, I hate to say it that way, but, you know being told he's holier than thou by his fallen Anu Elohim friends and that it was his job to convert everybody over to the thing, he got a little too um, outspoken, let's say. And he did indeed. Like we, had, um, we had groups of 12 knights, let's say, like the round table knights around us. Well, he decided to do disciples, which was, I'm above you and you're going to listen to me, kind of stuff. Jeshua 9 uh, reflected very much the mentality of those who were guiding him and directing him. He was an incarnate out of one of the fallen Enu Elohim collectives. He was an avatar, a ninth level avatar, a D9 avatar, Oversoul, that came in in order to do this. And he was supposed to stay on the side of the Emerald Covenant. But when he didn't, there was this whole new path of evolution that was going to be run, and it was going to be run through the biblical story. So they took pieces of the ancient Hyksos distortions, the, the stuff from the Dead Sea Scrolls, and even back way further into the Hebrew traditions that went back into Atlantis, and they began to weave tales, and they began to edit things out that anybody else wrote down that didn't fit into those tales. So the, the Arimathea, or Metatronic Agenda, began being woven progressively into what has become Christianity on this planet, which was interesting because, all right, now what happened to Jeshua 9? He didn't get crucified either. There was another guy that, because Jeshua 9 went around and really agitated the Romans and a few other people, 
and got too much attention drawn to himself. They had to get him out of the Holy Land. They had to literally get him and his family out because they were going to kill him if they stuck around, and they couldn't let that happen. He was the... He had that new gene code. <laughs> Can't let him get killed. He has to have more babies. <laughs> this is really how the Anamalahim were perceiving the whole thing. So, there was a guy named Arahabi who looked like him physically, who resembled him physically. And the Anuelahim sent him on a few little tangents of inspired visions and things and convinced him that he was Christ and got him spouting some of the teachings so he would sound enough like him. And they set Arahabi up. They told him he, he couldn't ascend. He didn't have a gene code where he could ascend, but they told him that they would give him the gene code, the Metatronic version, that he could ascend if he would allow himself to die for his God. He was crucified. So there was a man crucified, but it wasn't either of the Jeshuas. It was Arahabi, who was a poor sucker. He was conned by having visions given to him by a bunch of fallen angelics who told him if he let himself be tortured this way, that God would reward him with an eternal body. Well, it wasn't eternal. It might have been immortal, but it wasn't eternal. <laughs> All right. So there is some reality to the crucifixion story. It was part of the cover-up of the real Christian story, which has always been about bringing the inner Christos teachings here. That's what Jeshua taught. That's what the other Jeshua was supposed to teach, and he started to. Now, where Jeshua 9 went, he had Jeshua 12, literally in 27 AD, ascending back up the Ark of the Covenant. He left. John the Baptist went in his own direction. He got killed, and Miriam stuck around for a while and ascended a few, you know, maybe, I think, what was it, 20, 20 what did I, I forget, 2037 AD? Something like that. <laughs> I think it was 37, yeah. It's about 10 years after Jeshua. And we did what we could, but what we were there for couldn't be finished. And it was all kind of left till next round. And this goes up, like, next round, like, took us in through the Arthur legends and all that stuff, King Arthur and all that. That was all about this. But the important thing to see here was Arimathea is tracking it. There was, and Ma'a is, is telling me this now, who this person was, because I was trying to find out who exactly it was, and Ma'a is verifying something, that a person named Joseph of Arimathea was the brother of, get this, please, <laughs> was the brother, would you please, like, catch this, the brother of the person who was uh, Mary, Mother Mary, okay, the brother of Mother Mary's mother. Okay. That's how my, I just worded it. What, what does that make him? <laughs> the brother of Mother Mary's mother. So it's Mary's uncle. Yeah. Uh, Mary's uncle? Yeah, that would be Mary's uncle. Okay. Now, he was of, um, from, I, I believe the history has him in Palestine of Arimathea. In, in fact, there was a place called Arimathea in Palestine. And I wonder who settled that place. You know, I mean, it was Hyksos. And there was an exodus of the Hyksos Grail line, the Jeshua 9 line. They got Mary out. They, Mary Magdalene is who he had married. They got Mary Magdalene out. Now, there's a little twist that i got to share with this. Mary Magdalene was intended to be the wife of Jeshua 12. It was his twin flame. And they messed with her before she woke up, and they married her off to Jeshua 9 in order to get the gene code. And that was part of the reason Jeshua left because there was nothing left for him to do. There is, he left children behind, though. He didn't marry any of the mothers. It was done through sacred 
rites within the temple, and certain women were chosen. There were six women chosen, and there were fathers who would be the fathers of these children to raise these children as their own. And it was simply that they were, it was a very sacred leaving behind of a gene code before, before he ascended. So there was, there were six lineages from Jeshua 12, the indigo lines, that came up from that period. But what happened to the other guys, the J9 lines, who'd hijacked Mary, and this is causing Sananda a problem right now, because Mary got Metatronic coding, his twin. So right now, Sananda's main mission is to work with Galactic Federation to try to get, and Sananda was the sole name of, of uh, Jesuit 12. He has to get Mary, his, other, his twin, the other half of his entity, out of the Metatronic coding. So he's a bit busy in this particular time frame. That's why you'll find um, both Jesuit 9 and, reluctantly, Jesuit 12 working with the Galactic Federation people, with the Anunnaki people right now, because he has a karmic issue to settle where he has to help the, you know, his twin flame, to his, his twin avatar to get out of the Metatronic coding before she goes down. Because if she goes down, he's stuck in this, you know, this matrix with the other half of him coded over there. So there's some issues that came up out of that period. It was awful what happened in that period. It was the Essene Divide period. And what's come out of that has been even more awful. Because what they did was Joseph of Arimathea of Palestine, Mary's uncle, got the bunch of them out. Now he had a lot of trafficking because he was involved with, I, I think it was gold, wasn't it? With the gold mines? Mm -hmm. Yeah, he was like the Ministry of the Mines of gold. Rome. Tin and Cornwall? Yeah. Okay. Because he had had connections to England and also to France, because they went to France first. Joseph of Arimathea got them into France, and they, there was a group, they had, <laughs> they talk about getting sucker punched. There was a, there was a group of Cathary, Cathars. The Cathars of France were portions of the, like what became the Cathars of France, were some of the Jesuit 12 lineage people that had been, you know, moved around. We, we didn't just leave them all in the Holy Land. We had to put them at different areas. They were put at Gate 12, which is Montsegur in France. That's where the original Cathars started. Well, there, before we had full-blown Cathars, we had gene lines being filtered up into this direction, okay? We had our grail lines there. We had our Gate 12 grail lines there from the beginning. They were always there because Gate 12 is Montsegur, France. So we would have Tribe 12 people there. The 12, tribe, tribe 12 Grey Lines would be there, and so would the root races be there. Well, the Arimathea, Joseph of Arimathea, brought the Hyksos, Jesus, into the 12 tribes regions of France, and at first was able to pass him off as the other Jeshua. Because, I mean, people weren't in, like, active, open communication with each other. So he was taken in, and cre they created a following there. This is where you had, before the Cathars even became officially called Cathars, you had the Cathar Divide. There was part of the Essene Divide. You had a group, an Agrail line, an Antichristos Hyksos Grail line, that came up living in the same spaces as the Grail lines that went with Tribe 12. Now, later, Jeshua 12's descendants, one of them, came and was brought in to bring up the, 12, the, the tribe 12 lineage again because it had been contaminated by the Hyksos, the, the Hyksos Jeshua. So out of France, you have two movements building. You have 
the Cathars, and Cathar was just like Kathara, healing. It was originally spelled with a K. It referred to Kathara, light, sound, one. That's what the word meant. It got changed into Kathari with a C, and this had to do with uh, not just the Hyksos, but also the Drax getting in on the act. You also had, during this period, the beginnings of what became draconian Christianity as opposed to Anunnaki Christianity. So you had the, the, the Bible stories, the stories coming up from this chaos that came out of the two Jeshuas and the lineage moving into France, it moved from France and then spread into England and into other places. It seeded the Templar quest and the Arimathea agenda. It was seeded through Joseph of Arimathea and through Jeshua, Jeshua 9 and Mary and Joseph, who were the parents of Jeshua 9. This was a betrayal of the Emerald Covenant. The people who were representing the Christos teachings kind of got knocked in the head again, but the drama continued. But this is what became of this was very interesting because by 325 AD, you know, a couple hundred years after all this was taking place, the Draconians got in on the picture. The Hyksos were making so much advancement by putting out their records, by combining it with the records from the past and putting the Jeshua 9 story out as if it were the real story and hiding and destroying any records they, that were existing on Jeshua 12 and, you know, the true Miriam and, you know, John the Baptist. They changed names. They took certain stories that took place here and put, like, they changed the order of this person was first and that person was second, like, as far as, like, birth times. For instance, they put John the Baptist as almost a, um, in almost a, in a similar like time frame, age bracket, as Jeshua, and he wasn't. He was much, much older. So they, they doctored the documents, the historical documents, got rid of what didn't serve them. They were doing really, really well, and that really, really upset the draconian mob over in Rome. So the draconian mob over in Rome decided to take all of this new information, this new Christ period stuff, and make their own version of it. And they combined it with the Olympian god stuff, that they had taken from the Anunnaki originally, they had taken over some of that. They were using that to control the Roman people, the Roman empires. They combined it, and what used to be the Olympian gods became saints instead. So they renamed them. They made them saints, okay? You couldn't have Olympian gods anymore. You could have saints. They decided this was a good bandwagon to jump on. And the Council of Nicaea in 325 AD brought together Pharisees, Sadducees, People from, you know, like people in control of large groups where they had to deal with this problem about what do we do with the records? We might not like each other, but we all have one common interest to make sure we win when the stellar activation cycle comes. So there was uh, a book assimilated and created out of editing, twisting, and taking most of the guts out of the historical records. They use some of our records. They use some of the falsified records that these are the parts that will be compatible with the Quanrim stuff, you know, the Dead Sea Scroll stuff. And they created what we call the Bible. And as we know, the history from there has been absolute chaos, where the draconian... Now, what's interesting, too, is you had the draconian versions, I mean, the draconian Leviathan races, which were descent... became the, the Knights Gnosis, the Knights Malta. They became the push behind Catholicism. Then you had the Hyksos lines that became the push behind Protestantism. 
this is where you have the division between Catholic and Protestant. It's Dragon Anunnaki, as usual. It's like, humans just never fit into this history here. We're watching wars go on between people who don't even belong here in the first place, and the people who do belong here think they're a part of it, and they don't know how to step outside of it, because their own history is gone. So, that leads us up to the point where we are here. Yeah, yeah, we're doing good. Okay, that's good. Now, good, I'll leave him 10 minutes and me about eight. Okay, that, that, that was actually good. So I think that's enough of, of the history to, so you can understand how the things that we're talking about now, there is a context for these. It's not some idea we pulled off the top of our head and we're trying to con you into believing. There's a history here. It's not a pleasant history. It's a history that makes you want to cry. At least it does me. It's been horrible. It's been horrible for the Grail Lines. It's been horrible for the angelic humans. And it's been horrible for any of the Leviathan races who tried to escape from it. Because the fallen angelic collectives that control them and who can mess with them because of the DNA weaknesses, they have more of the reversals in their DNA, especially the ones with the metatronic coding. They can be, you know, put that little CD in their heads and you can show them pictures, you can give them divine experiences that aren't real. This is how we've been manipulated all through this process. Now, what it leads us to is the beast. In 22,340 B.C., when Toth's group agreed to join the Wiesedeks, this was a thing called the um, Luciferian. Remember, Toth was one of the Luciferian groups. This was the Lucifer-Archangel-Michael Lucifer alliance. Okay. Now, they had been against each other for quite a while. Toth didn't want, you know, the, the Wiesedek coding for a long time. He'd stood against that when he was emerald, when he went over. This was the alliance between Lucifer, Toth, and his whole collective. It wasn't just one person. It was the whole collective and the Wiesedeks. Now, the Wiesedeks had interbred when they had broken through here 570 million years ago. They created a race in the Andromeda system of Phantom Matrix called the uh, Necromaton. The Necromaton later raided seeding two of the angelic humans, creating something called the Nephilim. All right. They were an Anunnaki, a mutated Anunnaki Wiesedek thing. When Archangel Michael, th these became the Archangel Michael Collective, they were the Michalub. They were called the Michalub. And they were also called the Sons of Baal, B-A-A-L. And in some like doctrines that came up, Baal was another word for the devil. You know? Everybody was calling everybody the devil. I mean, whoever, you know, if you didn't like him, you called that one the devil. You had Satan, you had Lucifer, you had Baal, you had, a, you had Set in, in, in uh, Egypt. I mean, you had a bunch of them. And it all depended on who was writing the book that would say, you know, which one was the bad one or which one was the good one. The Protestant movement that has come up through the uh, Freemasons, for instance, that that's the Hyksos line came up through the Freemasons. That is actually the controlling faction behind Protestant religion. But most of the Protestant figureheads on the outside have no clue about that. Um, they actually hold at the center of their creed a worship of Lucifer, which means they're Tothian. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the others have at their core, the Catholic ones, they actually have at their core a connection to Satan, which is the Marduk-Draman line of of uh, Anunnaki Omicron, that this is where the Satan stuff comes from. So it's a riot. It's almost like at the core of each of the religions, the one they're saying the one that is evil is actually the one they're supporting. 
It's, it's like the one that's motivating the whole thing. It's been such a very confusing game. But anyway, it leads us to the present moment where we have technologies, sci-fi technologies that aren't fiction, that have been progressively put in place here, and we've been progressively mutated so we wouldn't know how to handle it or even believe it was there by the time the cell activation cycle came. We have what are called the... There are several different layers of technology that if we could have got the grids up high enough in speed, we wouldn't have had to worry about this one. This one was the worst case scenario. Like, oh dear. Uh, the Guardians have been doing everything that they could. I mean, even negotiating with these bozos. Because they're bozos. I mean, you know, they say, oh yeah, we'll give you lip service for like, you know, 24 hours, then we'll turn around and stab you in the back. This has been the history of dealing with the Anunnaki races, particularly on Earth. But even that was worth a try. Because if the 1992 Palladian-Syrian agreements had worked, where they were Emerald Covenant agreements, where the Toth groups and the Enoch groups had decided they would, they would come in and stand against the Draconian groups in order to not let the Draconian groups get control. If they had held, we wouldn't have had to worry about activation of the beast. The beast is a mechanism that the scope of the intelligence it takes to create something like this is awesome because it's something that moves not just planets, it moves solar systems. It has the capacity to take this solar system and our whole chain of gates going from here to D11. That takes us up through, you know, through up into the Lyris system. Literally take the whole thing down into a black hole matrix. Which means its matter would fry, first of all. Everything totally gets disintegrated going through a black hole. Then it reforms in disorganized fashion on the other side. It would reform on the other side neatly tucked in to the base 8 reverse metatronic coating. Now, if we look at this crazy diagram, <laughs> this will get easier when I typeset it because there's little tiny words all over. It was hard enough to understand <laughs> when, we had, when, I, when I showed it to you where the three axes were coming through, where we showed... Could you hold... Could, um, yeah, thank you, lovey. Okay, where we had up here the Wiesedek axis, right? There's like a cathara grid running at this angle, right? And then we had um, over here the phantom axis running down this way, and then our main axis, right? Now what's been added to this diagram is, first of all, showing you something that was put in in 25,500 B.C. When the Palladian Nibiru and Anunnaki groups put in something called the Nibiru and Dada crystal grid. That was the thing that was anchored at Stonehenge and then plugged into 24 prime crystal temple bases all over the planet. This is part of what we're clearing in our site work that we're doing here. Um, the Nibiru used to be a planet that orbited within our galactic plane. It was our 12th planet for a while. Now, when they started to build the beast, Nibiru became our 11th planet first, because our 11th planet, which was Chiron, was broken in half. Part of it was made Pluto's moon, and the other part of it was stuck where it pops up in between Saturn and Uranus, and then it pops back down into Phantom. Now, these are, it's almost like um, balances, weights, trying to get the balance, the electromagnetic balance, just right. In order to do this stuff, you have to have the absolutely perfect electromagnetic balances of energy, of push and pull, etc., on a galactic and higher than galactic level. So, Nibiru used to orbit this way. They changed that orbit. First, they knocked it in, when they got rid of Gate, ele uh, gate 11 planet, Sharon, and broke it into two. They then pushed using frequency, using their gates, they pushed uh, 
Nibiru into the 11 position. They left a hole where the 11 planet had been. There was a hole in that orbital field, and they plugged Nibiru into that hole. From there, they created a link where they, were, they took Nibiru, and this wasn't all done at once, but in 25,500 B.C., they did this final piece. Once Nibiru had moved from the 12 spot to the 11 spot, 25,500 B.C., they dragged it in to this orbital, okay, to the phantom orbital, with another large planetary or half a planetary mass. It used to be a planet called Maldak, which was our fifth planet. That was destroyed in seeding two, as was Charon. Now, Maldak, there's a piece of Maldak that was large enough to counterbalance Nibiru, where it had about the same planetary mass. <coughs> so they were able to set up, using this gate alignment, the phantom races were able to set up an orbit of Nibiru to make it like a patrol station, where on one end of the orbit you'd have the planet Nibiru, and on the other end you'd have the piece of Maldak that they turned into a battle star that came to be known as Wormwood, which was a mistranslation of what meant Doom World. Because it was always known that Doom World, when that battle star, Nibiru and battle star, came in, it would have the potential to pull our matrix into phantom matrix. That was before the whole Wiesedek mess, we, we, before we had to deal with the whole Wiesedek mess and what they did. They took advantage of the phantom technology. Now, this was the phantom races at first, deciding they were going to do this. The Pleiadian Iberians were part of this. Um, they weren't, remember, uh, Toth broke the Emerald Covenant in 22,340 BC. This thing was put in in 25,500 BC. So that was before that. There's not the Wiesedek agreement yet. They still have their matrix coming in here. But right now the phantom races are trying to pull our matrix in to create enough critical mass in their matrix so the Wiesedeks can't pull them in because they're fighting them. So originally, Nibiru would do this. It would This is the axis that the new Nibiru in orbit would create. It would begin here, and it would cycle up this way. It would cross over through their Phantom Gate 8, Phantom Gate 8, which would be Phantom Allen Attack Orion. It would circle back down, and it's still, where you see the dotted line? That dotted line is its phantom passage, all right? It's not passing through our system yet. This is the phantom level of our system, where it would, it's not touching us yet. It would come back down this side. Then when it did a full pass through the phantom system, it would do a loop-de-loop -loop down here, and then come back up this way, and it would pass through our system this way, going straight out. Now, we have our sun here, Earth over here. The positioning it would come in would be here. It wouldn't come close enough to cause major cataclysmic mess on Earth. It would create a bit of ripples, and sometimes you get a, a slight pole shift, but it wasn't the huge cataclysmic scale. And it would pass back out. Now, when one was out, the other would be in. Every 3,657.8 years, one of them would come in. And when it was Nibiru coming in, Wormwood was out. And when Wormwood would come in, Nibiru was out. Right now, we're approaching a period where Nibiru's out, but Wormwood's on its way in. And this was part of what the biblical teachings had taught a lot more about, but there was little bits of it left in the Nicene translations that tell in Revelations that tell us about these things. 
Now, the beast comes in here where the Wisedex decided they could take advantage of this. Now, this was originally a small beast that was intended to pull us in to prevent the Wisedex from pulling the Phantom Matrix in. They figured out how to use it to get both. They linked, they made their link, their 666 link, through um, their Stargate 6, our Stargate 6, and uh, the Phantom Stargate 6, and they anchored it into our sixth, the Stargate in our sixth planetary core. Our sixth planet is Jupiter, because five was Maldak, and Maldak's the asteroid belt now, because it was blown, the rest of it was blown to smithereens, and the big part of it was used as the battle star for Nibiru. They created this frequency bridge here that anchors the 666 through Jupiter. And what this will allow through Jupiter, there are frequencies that are transmitted that when Nibiru begins, or either Nibiru or the Battlestar, but this time it's going to be the Battlestar in this cycle, when it comes up and hits the level of orbit, it comes up like from down here. This is actually Orion down here. It's like where our Stargate 1 is. This is Trapezium Orion and Orion's sword. Then it moves toward us through Stargate 2 domain, which is uh, Epsilon in Eridanus, and it progressively moves toward our system. It comes up under and comes through in the asteroid belt. So this is where it enters our galactic plane, is through the asteroid belt. When this happens, this beast, the frequencies here activate. These are the blue sword, the flaming blue sword of Archangel Michael frequencies. They beam a frequency through the Jupiter orbit template, and it reverses the, the path that either Nibiru or Wormwood in this case would take. So it should be going, coming up, doing this, and going past us, where it comes up here, hits that frequency, reverses, comes back here, cuts between Earth and the Sun, circles back around, makes a second pass on the other side of Earth, and then comes out this way across our whole galactic plane, and then up and out, linking the whole thing into this orbital plane and literally pulling the whole thing down and under. In more practical terms, more easy to understand terms, what this means is a planetary body at least twice the size of Earth passing between Earth and the Sun. That is a problem. Now, this is set in motion through activation of the turnstiles. We talk about the turnstile grids. They were part of the Atlantean mess that was put in when Toth agreed to turn part of the Nibiru and Dada crystal grid that had belonged to, to them in the Phantom Matrix, turn part of that over to the Wisedex. Right now, they're running those frequencies. Now, the beast wasn't due to raise its nasty head until 2011. That was originally, if the stellar activation cycle progressed the way it was intended to, and 2012 was supposed to be the opening of the full halls of Amente Stargates, our Stargates here. Wasn't supposed to happen until 2011 when they activated the beast. There are already groups on planet that are being conned into creating manual physical technologies that are needed to help anchor these frequencies. There's a group of ETs pretending they're the nice ETs. They call themselves the Cordium. They've been working with the Wingmakers group in New Mexico, and they've been getting this labyrinth group of humans, they call themselves the labyrinth group, to help them build certain technologies because they keep telling them there's this big bad invader race that's going to come in, and the only way to protect the planet is by building these devices. They're the invader race. I mean, talk about conning somebody. The people that are working with the Ringmakers Labyrinth Project, they're humans like us that think they're doing the right thing, and they're being taught to build the technologies that they need to, find, to, to do the final anchoring on planet. HARP is a part of this, the HARP 
installations and there are several others the star wars program was part of that also but that kind of got nixed and there's going to be certain things put in probably with that we'll probably see some advancement of uh, the need for some type of star wars type technology the space station stuff has all been part of this because a bunch of the Illuminati head guys running around on planet know we've been, be been under invasion. They've known it since the 1930s. And they, they know that there is cataclysmic stuff potentially coming. They knew that because the other guys, the fallen angelics, are planning on activating this. Our guys are trying to stop it, to get to the point where this would not activate. We were doing well, so well, that they activated it early. Thank you for listening to the China Jedi podcast. Set aside your filters of bias. The truth is learned. Never told. Do your own research. May the smile be with you.